Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Uh, we've had a little bit of a break. It's summer. It, 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 it happens. It's nice out, you know? What do you want? Uh, but we're back. Uh, and we've got stuff to tell you. The last time I read an article about the destruction of the Georgia Guidestones. And I said, maybe next time I'll talk about the Georgia Guidestones. So does there that is, mean you're there is talk no maybe? About... There is oh, no maybe. Okay. We're okay. we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you all about the Georgia Guidestones. Oh, this is a thing that is happening. Awesome. It is happening. Yes. Uh, but why don't we start out with uh, you, Joanne? Everyone's missed your lovely voice. Oh, uh, thank you, thank you for saying that. Um, I am going to be talking about the curious disappearance of the Yuba County Five. The ki anything with curious in it makes me, <laughs> you know, curious. And this actually uh, came up because of my son. He was visiting for a couple of weeks this summer, and he mentioned that one of his roommates happened to grow up in California, and we had done that big California road trip, like basically gone from one end to the other of California a few years back. Right. So he was telling her about that, and one of the best places that we went was... Uh, the South Yuba River State Park, where we had a lovely, lovely afternoon in crystal clear river water that was also not ice cold like they are in Washington because it was a little bit know, farther away from the mountains, I guess. Yeah, it was it was like going out and being in one of those, you know, beautiful uh, Washington rivers, except not like making you feel like you're being skinned alive because of the cold. <laughs> The visceral cold. Yes, yes, it is. It is a visceral, visceral cold. Well, we had a lovely afternoon out there, and I think the closest town to where we were was a place called Marysville. And he was telling his roommate about this, and she was saying how she grew up in that area and told him about how it was kind of infamous because of this unsolved, like, missing persons case. And I was like, dude, what unsolved missing persons case? And he said it was the Yuba County Five. And so I Googled it and I was like, holy shit, what a story. And, and so, so here we are. So here we are. And my sources for today are www.mentalfloss.com, www.strangeoutdoors.com, reasonedcrimechronicle.com. An article from the Washington Post uh, from 1978 by one Cynthia Gorney on July 6, 1978, I should say. And the Fordhamram.com. On the evening of February 24th, 1978, five friends, Jack Hewitt, age 24, Gary Mathias, age 25, Bill Sterling, age 29, Jack Madruga, age 30, and Ted Wire, age 32, piled in to Jack Madruga's turquoise 1969 Mercury Montego and went to a college basketball game at California State University in Chico. The men were referred to their uh, collective families as the boys. 
And those boys never returned home that night. Now, all of the four out of the five of them suffered from some degree of intellectual deficit. The fifth, Gary Mathias, um, was a schizophrenic and was taking medication for it and seemed to have been fairly stable for the last couple of years, but had had several um, psychotic breaks and episodes in the past. The boys played basketball together. They loved the game of basketball. They loved attending games, and they also had their own team. Uh, the basketball team that they played for, the Gateway Gators, was sponsored by a program for people with cognitive di disabilities. They all still lived at home with their parents because all of them needed some kind of uh, familial support to an extent due to their difficulties. They were fans of the visiting team playing that night, which had won. They stopped three blocks away at Bears Market and bought one Hostess Cherry Pie, one Langendorf Lemon Pie, one Snickers Bar, one Marathon Bar, two Pepsis, and a quart and a half of milk. Don't ask Healthy. me how you buy a quart and a half of milk. Maybe it was like a half quart and a quart, like two separate milk containers. Probably. Maybe, not... maybe they have quart. I, I don't buy a lot of milk. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They were remembered by the clerk because uh, the closing time was 10 p.m. and they had piled into the store just a few minutes before closing time. So she was like a little annoyed that all these people showed up right when she's about to close up. But they, you know, bought, bought their snacks and their milk and uh, left pretty quickly afterwards. They walked out of the store. They got back in their car and drove south of chico and disappeared upon discovering the boys had not come home the family members all called each other initially to find out if you know any of them had seen the other's kids and once it was ascertained that none of the five boys had made it back to their homes uh, the police were contacted the search began pretty quickly and on February 28th, authorities found Jack Madruga's car on a long, winding mountain road deep in the mountains of the Plumas National Forest. The car had been discovered, oddly enough, by a forestry ranger almost three hours northeast of Chico, which was the exact opposite way uh, from the boys' town, hometown of Yuba City. Now, the car was found to be operational. There, was no, there were no keys in the ignition. The police hotwired the car to see if there was anything going on with the engine, and it started right up. Also, there was about a quarter tank of gas in the car. The car was found up on a snowbank, and there was some evidence that the tires had spun, but it was barely on the snowbank. Like, it was, you know five strong young men would have easily been able to push the car off the snowbank and right, you right. Know, was... onto the pavement. Like it would not have 
It wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. For pushing a car, anyway. Yeah. The car was unlocked with one window rolled part of the way down. There was no damage to the car. And that led investigators to believe that whoever drove the car up the mountain would have had to have taken extreme care in the darkness to not, you know, like put it into any. It, there's like just potholes and ruts all over, but there was no damage to the undercarriage of the car. One would have expected that if they were to go all crazy, that that she would fuck up the undercarriage, right? That's right. What, that's what right. the. Yeah, I see. So it had been, yeah, there there didn't seem to be anything where they were driving erratically or where, like, it seemed like great care had been taken on this uh, mountain road way out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Inside the car, the police found the candy wrappers to the snacks that they had bought and the empty milk cartons. They also found the programs from the basketball games the game that the boys had attended earlier, uh, you know, the previous evening. No one could figure out exactly why they left the basketball game in Chico and drove the opposite direction of home and ended up 70 miles up a winding mountain road and subsequently disappeared. They started to search the area with snowcats, but it was just the conditions were just harsh as fuck. It's, it's February. You're up in the mountains. It was snowing like Not crazy. Great. And it very just, snowy. Yeah. Yeah. Precarious. The, the police basically had no choice but to call off the search pretty quickly. The families of the boys could not fathom why they had done this in addition to just it being like an extremely odd thing to do they the that basketball team that they were part of the gateway gators actually had a game scheduled for the next day after the the basketball game they all went to and if they had won that they were going to get to go and and spend a week in los angeles at like some sort of uh, championship tournament so a few of the boys had even already had their uniforms uh, laid out on their bed for the next day. And Gary Mathias in particular what had, you know, reminded his mother very often during that previous week to not let him sleep in no matter what, because he was so pumped for the game. He wanted to make sure that, you know, nothing, nothing stood in his way of, of getting to play that basketball tournament. One witness came forward as having possibly seen the boys out there in on that mountain road that night. That man was named Joe Shones. He was out there scouting out his uh, his his cabin because he was trying to see how much snow was there. And he, he had planned to take his family up there like over the weekend, but he wanted to see how much snow was out there and whether that would be like a thing he could do or not. Well, he got his car stuck in a snowbank, and as he was digging his car out and pushing his car out, all of a sudden he started having extreme chest pain and figured he was having a heart attack. 
He gets into his car and keeps the engine running for heat and keeps hoping that maybe somebody will pass by and assist him. Sometime in the night, he heard what he described as whistling noises a little way down, a little ways down the road, and he got out of his car. He also saw headlights, and eventually what he saw looked like a group of men and women with a group of men and a woman with a baby walking in the glare of that vehicle's headlights. He thought he heard them talking. He yelled for help, but as soon as he yelled for help, the headlights went out and the talking stopped. He got back in his car and lay down again, and a couple hours later, he again saw lights out his car window, but this time it was flashlights. He called out for help again, the lights went out, and whoever was out there went away. He said he continued to lay in his car until it, it ran out of gas, and then while it was still dark, he decided to walk back. He walked eight miles to the lodge called Mountain House, uh, where he was actually able to finally get some assistance and get to the hospital where he, it was discovered he had indeed suffered a mild heart attack. Now, when this uh, stalwart character who's having a heart attack and not getting any help, uh, you know, exited his car and started walking the eight miles uh, <laughs> to go and get himself some help in the dark, in the winter, in the snow, <laughs> he said that just below where his Volkswagen was parked, in the place where he had heard the voices, he passed the Mercury Montego sitting empty in the middle of the road. Yes. So it was for sure Jack Madruga's car. It was empty. Now he said the other stuff he couldn't be 100% sure of because he was pretty panicked. He was... You know, obviously, you know, stressed about, you know, having possibly having a heart attack, which he actually was having a heart attack. So he did say that maybe some of that might have been him hallucinating. He might have been delirious at some point. So he can't be 100 percent sure whether that woman with the baby was actually with them, whether it was actually the the. Yuba County Five that he saw that night, uh, you know, the thing with the flashlight and everything. He he can't be 100% positive, but this was what he remembered seeing. And there's no doubt that it was Jack Madruga's Mercury because it was found in that exact spot from where he said he was parked, uh, you know, when the, the forest ranger found it. So, so, yeah. Pretty weird. Like, you know, who who would have been the woman with the baby? What were they doing? Um, some of the parents said that, uh, like, Jack Hewitt was the type of uh, kid. Like, nobody, a lot of those boys, if somebody was calling out for help, uh, they would have done something about it under normal circumstances. And then also, it's odd that if they were under some kind of duress once they heard somebody else out there calling for help like why didn't they go to that person uh if you know there was some sort of emergency situation why did they just turn everything off and ignore mr shone's cries for help it's it's very strange yeah seriously yeah 
Well, other than the eyewitness accounts, they could not find any trace of the boys. They never turned up anywhere else. And it would not be until a few months later after the spring thaw that they would get some answers to what had happened. But really, it's just um, some answers, but more questions, I would say. On June 4th, 1978, there was a group of motorcyclists out up, you know, riding around in the mountains. As they do. As they do. They pulled over and they were uh, walking through some of the forest when they stumbled upon an abandoned U.S. forestry trailer. And they decided to take a closer look. Now, once they pried the door open of the trailer, they were hit with an overwhelming smell, the smell of death. They decided to investigate further, and they found on one of the bunk beds in there a body. And it was, in fact, the body of Ted Wire. He was out. He was on a bed inside the trailer, frozen to death. Eight sheets had been pulled over his body and tucked around his head. His shoes were off and missing. A table by the bed held his ring that had Ted engraved on it, his gold necklace, his wallet with cash inside. And then a gold watch was next to it, which did not belong to Ted and did not belong to the other four men, as far as the families could tell. Hmm. Now, Ted Wire was a big dude. He was five foot eleven, around two hundred pounds. When his body was found, he had lost between eighty to a hundred pounds. His feet were frostbitten, and from the uh, beard growth on his face, uh, the medical examiner had estimated that he had lived anywhere from 8 to 13 weeks from when he disappeared. Furthermore, that trailer was 20 miles uphill from where their car was found. Wow. So somehow he had made it 20 miles uphill through snowdrifts that could have been four to six feet and had broken out. The window of the trailer was broken out and had somehow survived eight to 13 weeks inside that trailer before freezing and starving to death. Now, the weird part is. The window was broken. No attempted no attempt was made to cover the window. The trailer had a propane tank for heating and a second there was one inside the trailer and then there was one outside the trailer and neither of those were used. Now, I mean, I can get maybe not knowing how to operate such a thing, but there was also a fireplace. There was matches. There was lots of paperback books, uh, wood furniture. I mean, you could have built there could have they could have easily built a fire. 
Right. There, there wasn't for lack of combustible materials. Right. There was also like woolen blankets. That trailer was like fully stocked because it was meant to be used for people like, you know, out there for, you know, weeks at a time working for the forestry service. Yeah. Yeah. In addition, there was also many, many cans of food. And it seemed that 31 cans of assorted uh, food had been consumed. They found them empty in the trailer. The can, the can opener was there, was, was an odd one. It's called a P38 can opener. And only two members of the group, which would have been Jack Madruga and Gary Mathias, would have probably known how to use it because it is a military style can opener. It's like, like a weird. Of, is it like one of the small ones? It's like one of those small ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, those are a little bit hard to use, but I mean, mm -hmm. you can figure it out. It ain't no thing. You can figure it out also. Also, in the same uh, locker that all the canned food was kept in, there was like a ton of freeze dried food that didn't require any can opener to be consumed and it was in fact enough that it would have fed all five men for a year so Jesus how Christ. is it that ted wire ends up freezing to death in a place that had sources of heat and starving to death in a trailer stocked with food yeah that's uh that's 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 something else right there. It's yeah. Not to mention the fact that he made it 20 miles uphill to that trailer in the first place in the snow. Yeah, right. The day after Wheeler's body was discovered, searchers found the remains of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling. The bodies of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling were found about 11 miles up the road from where the car was abandoned. There was evidence of animal scavenging and autopsies concluded that the two men had died of hypothermia. Madruga had been partially eaten by animals and dragged about 10 feet to a stream. He lay face up with his right hand curled around his watch. He still had his car keys in his pockets. Bill Sterling was in a wooded area scattered over about 50 feet. There was just nothing left of him but bones. It was thought that they never made it to the trailer because they were about just 11 miles up the road from the car. So the trailer was like another like nine miles further out from that. So it seemed likely that they had all set out from the car and gone in that direction. But that 11 miles into it, uh, Madruga and Sterling succumbed to hypothermia. Now, this is really terrible, but Jack Hewitt's body was found by his father, and it was just two miles from the trailer. The police had urged Jack's father not to participate in the search because they were worried that something like that might happen. But he was determined to find out what had happened. And about two miles from the trailer, he noticed his son's jacket on the ground. And when he picked it up, his spine fell out from yeah. the jacket. Yeah, because there was like nothing left of him but bones. The next day, uh, Plumas County 
um, officer found uh, the skull of Jack Hewitt about 100 yards downhill from the rest of the bones. Now, the police think that Jack might have, since he was so close to the trailer, police think that he might have actually made it to the trailer because obviously somebody, you know, other than uh, Ted Wire had had a made it to the trailer because I mean who wrapped the body up? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> including like to. tucking in everything around him. You know, some somebody put eight sheets over over Ted Wire. Now it might not have necessarily been Jack Hewitt. Uh, he might have left while Wire was still alive because he did live for some time. And Jack Hewitt was one of the ones whose mother said like you know oh if he. You know, it would have been unusual for him to not to have responded to the that guy who was having the heart heart attack. Yeah. Him and and Ted Wire, the the man who was deceased in the trailer, they were close friends. They had actually helped a friend who was overdosing on Valium and gotten him to a hospital at some point. So he was the kind of person who was you know very uh, you know a very helpful person. So they think that. Probably he made it to the trailer at some point and then at some point sent back out to try and, and get help for his friend and then, uh, you know, two miles down, you know, succumbed to hypothermia. <laughs> but they really were ultimately not able to determine a cause of death because there was nothing left but bones. Very Diallo Pass. Yes, yes. This is why it's called the American Diablo Pass. <laughs> yeah, because it has a lot of the same things. It, it's fucking it wild. It does. It does have a lot of the same elements to it. Well, that leaves Gary Mathias. And to this day, Gary Mathias has never been found. The only thing that was found that belonged to Gary Mathias were his sneakers were found in that abandoned trailer. So clearly he made it to, to the trailer. At least so, the sneakers did. Yes. <laughs> so Ted Wire and Jack Hewitt and Gary Mathias, those three, presumably, well, Ted Wire for sure, but the other two, along with him, made it to the trailer. And then. Uh, Madruga and Sterling never made it to the trailer to begin with, is what they think happened. Now, Ted Wire's shoes were missing, and Gary Mathias's sneakers were found in the trailer, so it's presumed that maybe Gary also uh, took, that he might have had his feet swollen from being frostbitten or whatever, and he took Ted Wire's leather shoes and put them on his own feet and also maybe went out to, to try and get help. Um, Ted had larger feet than Gary, so that would have made sense that he would have taken off his sneakers and used Ted's boots because clearly Ted was not going anywhere on foot due to the fact that he had severely frostbitten feet. <laughs> And then Gary Mathias would have been the only one who probably would have known how to use that particular can opener that was found right in the cabin. 
because uh, the other one uh, who had also had previous uh, army experience was Jack Madruga, and he never made it there. The police sent out a description of Gary Mathias to like all the hospitals and mental health facilities around, and he has never turned up anywhere. There's been a lot of speculation out there that Gary Mathias might have done something to them or manipulated them to going into that, going up there in the forest in the first place and ultimately had some hand in their demise. But I just don't think that there's really any evidence of that. He was the only one who didn't have any intellectual deficit. He did have schizophrenia, but it was under control and he hadn't had a psychotic break in over two years he took his medicine weekly now obviously if he was there for a while in that cabin then it's likely that his symptoms probably would have returned at some point and so we really don't know what his motives would have been for leaving uh especially leaving it's just, it's the whole thing is just weird because he had no intellectual deficit. He had experience in the army. He knew how to open the cans of food because it's presumed that he's probably the one who did that. And yet he didn't think to light a fire either. He didn't get any of the other food right. that didn't require can, the can opener. He didn't block the window and probably of the three of them, he would have been able to one to figure out how to use the propane heater to like provide heat. So why he would have just taken his friend's shoes and taken off at some point. It's, it's a mystery, but I would have to assume that at some point he might have, you know, started suffering from hallucinations. And uh, yeah, huh. who knows? Who knows, especially since you're already like physically probably not doing that great. You you spent 20 miles hiking through the snow. And yeah, I mean, that yeah. could definitely increase any any kind of like mental health issues that you already have are probably oh, definitely. going to you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not easy to hike through mm -mm. environments that you're not used to. Mm -mm. It's just so strange. I mean. The fact that. Ted Weir, Weir was there for almost three months, like freezing and starving to death. I mean, agonizing. And Seriously. his parents said that, you know, he his deficit was pretty severe. And they recalled at a time where there was a house fire and they had to practically drag him out of the house because he didn't want to leave his bed, even though the house was on fire because he was afraid he was going to miss work. This was somebody who was like, you know, really, really rigid about their routine and yeah, didn't yeah. like anything out of the ordinary happening. And so but still, I just can't imagine I mean, the will to survive is also very strong. And you get to a point where, I mean, yeah, I just, like, you didn't try to, you know, make a fire. I mean, at some point, like, disturbing your routine, the, the will to survive, like, has to, like, yeah. overpower your... But to not just be like, yeah, I'll burn to death, it's fine. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not I know. concerned, I mean, it'll that's, be cool. that's odd. I mean, but I can almost see that happening easier than slowly starving to death over months. 
I don't know, man. I mean, something where like something came up quickly and he balked at the idea of, uh, you know, being moved and, you know, and just kind of panicked. That'd be one thing. But laying there for weeks and weeks, starving to death, not and still, you know, not not doing anything to uh, you know, not utilizing resources that were literally at his fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's. It's really hard to fathom. And what the fuck were they doing up there in the first place? You know, there's just no answers. But the family feels very strongly that something had to have happened. Somebody had to have forced them to go up that road. There had to have. It's it's theorized that maybe like when they were exiting the basketball game, they saw something that they shouldn't have. Perhaps they were pursued up that road. Yeah, there's just, there's just, like, with this case, there's just more questions than answers. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, shocking. I mean, but even if somebody was chasing them, like, you know, like, gosh, at some point you think, you know, maybe you're clear. I mean, why do you go uphill 20 miles? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, that guy had a heart attack, and he was able to hike eight miles down to where there was people and help available. And running uphill isn't necessarily a way to get away from someone because, you know, right. yeah. going uphill. Through the snow and then you get up 20 miles and then you get to this trailer and it's full of food and fuel and you use you a little bit. Just die instead? But yeah. It's weird. It is so weird. It's fucking it weird. It is so, so weird. And likely never to be solved. And I mean, the the only thing that might shed a little bit of light on it, but probably still won't answer all the questions is if they ever find Gary Mathias. I personally don't think that he is with us anymore. Right. But I, I, mean, I think who he fucking probably, knows. I think he left probably in a very bad mental state and probably was just able to uh wander so far that his body was just never found no um, i mean that's likely and then with animals yeah. and and, and what yeah, have with you animal I mean, scavenging and yeah. it's just it's a vast area the it's hard uh, to find a small little human yeah. body I mean. yeah so so i think yeah he he likely perished and was never found and these uh circumstances are just what actually happened to them is just is never going to be solved but it's it's a baffling case and a sad case i mean <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Joanna. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that we've talked about disappearances and horribleness, we'll talk about something less horrible. All right. Uh, the Georgia Guidestones. Less horrible, but still kind of weird. And a little horrible, actually. So, like... The brief facts are that it's, it's in Georgia. That's why they call them the Georgia Guidestones. It's in Elberton, Georgia, which is uh, or like seven miles or 11 kilometers north of Elberton, Georgia, on Georgia State Route 77. It was unveiled March 22nd, 1980. Congressman Doug Bernard unveiled it, and there was like around 250 people there. There was a note that was given to them to read at this unveiling, and uh, it said, in order to avoid debate, we, the sponsors of the Georgia Guidestones, have a simple message for human beings. Now, and for the future, we believe our precepts are sound, and they must stand on their own merits. All right. So you probably don't really know what these things are. Uh, physically, 
They're fucking huge. There's these four large slabs that are set up in an X configuration, though they're not connecting, they're not touching each other, but they're in an X formation. Uh, between, like, at the, at the center of this X, there's a, a one that's not as wide as the rest that goes up, and there's a capstone set on top. And so the capstone is a rectangle, and each of the four corners of the rectangle are set on the four tall slabs. And the whole thing stands 19 feet 3 inches tall, uh, 5.87 meters. It looks basically like a mushroom with four slabs holding up each of the corners of the, of the, the cap of the shroom. On each of the four slabs, oh, for one, they're, they're located, they're, they're set in a north, south, east, west orientation. And uh, each slab has two languages written on them. English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese, and Russian. The capstone has four languages on it. Egyptian hieroglyphs, Sanskrit, Babylonian, and Classical Greek. Uh, the guidestone at the top in all those languages across each of, the corner, uh, each of the sides of it says, these guidelines are meant to be a guidestone to an age of reason. All right. In all of these different languages, all, on all the, the four giant slabs, are ten, like, kind of commandments that mm -hmm. are written. It goes, uh, I mean, it's, the first one says, Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. The second, Guide reproduction wisely. Improve fitness and diversity. Three. Unite humanity with a living new language. Four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Six, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. 10, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Also, west of the structure, in the grass, so it's not this like giant 19 foot thing, but it like just rises just above the grass. So kind of a headstone that one would see in maybe a, uh, a graveyard. Mm -hmm. Not a headstone, but you know, they have the, the just kind of the slabs that sit right on the ground. And okay. not, yeah. Uh, like a plaque. Yeah, like a plaque, exactly. It says Astronomic features. One. Channel through stone indicates celestial pole. Two, horizontal slot indicates annual travel of sun. Three, sunbeam through capstone marks noontime throughout the year. Author, R.C. Christian, a pseudonym. It's supposed to be pseudonym, 
but it's misspelled. The okay. last letter, instead of being an M like Mary, is an N like Nancy. Pseudonin instead of pseudonym. Sponsors. A small group of Americans that seek the age of reason. Time capsule placed six feet below this spot on blank to be opened on blank. So the capstone has a misspelling on it. And also, this time capsule that was supposedly put underneath this spot, they didn't have the dates on it, which sort of indicates that there is no time capsule underneath it. Interesting. Well, I can see why it was destroyed. I mean, tempered reasoning and, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things, yeah. So it says. All the things it's talking about justice and. Yeah, yeah who wants that? And uh, officials that are just all like, you know, Shitty superfluous and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, like, uh huh. I can see why people would just be like, yeah, not, not in this America, not in this world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and now some of the things that says is a little concerning, like maintaining humanity under 500 million in perpetual bounds with nature. Like that has the like one could be like, oh, so that means you're going to kill off everybody else. Right. But if this is something that's meant for after some sort of global catastrophe, maybe it's like, you know, we don't have seven billion people on the planet, eight billion, nine billion, whatever we're at now. Maybe like try to keep it like a little bit low. Yeah, and I mean, 500 also, million, that's pretty low. That's pretty low, but that also makes it, like, I mean, pretty easy to live. If you don't have that many people, you don't have that much fight for, you know, uh, things to eat and drink mm -hmm. and what have you, you know? Also, the part where it says guard reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity, that seems a little eugenics, which isn't mm -hmm. super cool. But Definitely also, not, but, if you yeah. don't look at it under that lens, uh, yeah, I mean, we should be more fit and diverse, uh, in a diverse culturally, racially. I mean, is that what they're talking about? Because mm -hmm. that's very not eugenic kind of thing, because eugenics are sort of like, you know, white is right. Right. Uh, also, if you're just looking at it from a standpoint of like, yeah, we need to be better about uh, providing birth control for people so that we're not, you know. Overpopulating just, the goddamn yeah, planet. Overpopulate. Yeah. Like be, being wise about reproduction doesn't necessarily mean like it has to be, um, uh, you know, like filtered in some way to, uh, you know, only, you know, produce some sort of, um, you know, whatever is is ideal like so, some kind of something like you know eugenics wise where like right, oh, right. Blonde, blonde hair blue eyes for an instance yeah exactly yeah. We, it's not it's not so much like yes that that should be the only uh you know re reproducing going on but just more like just yeah as a blanket whole like we should be a little bit better about which falls into the last yeah. one which is be not a cancer on earth leave room for nature and then it repeats it it's, I didn't just say it twice. It's leave room for nature. Leave mm -hmm. room for nature. It's like it's uh, emphasizing very, that very strongly. Yeah. And that, I believe, is a good one. Uh, if, if you don't look at these in sort of like this weird conspiratorial way, it's all good stuff. So uh, let all nations rule internally. Fucking yes. Mm -hmm. Resolve external disputes in a world court. You know what's better than war? 
a world court. Like maybe not like this new world order, like Illuminati thing, but uh, like a way, a, a series of rules that the entire world agrees on. And, you know, you can't just go invade a country and be a dick face. Yeah, I mean, we try that with, like, the Geneva United Convention. United Nations, but, sure, yeah, yeah. The United Nations and the Geneva Convention, but, you know... It seems, doesn't work. It seems that, yeah, like, people don't, you know... But if there was only, you know, 500,000 or 500 million people on the planet, it'd be a lot easier to, you know, take care of things. And then look at the languages written in. Spanish, English, Swahili... Which I believe is the dominant language in Africa, but I'm not 100% on that. Yeah. Uh, Hindi, a good fucking several oh, million, yeah. possibly lot, billion people, people speak, speak that. that. <laughs> Arabic, same thing. Chinese, same thing. Russian, also same thing. I mean, there's a lot of different languages, but Russian is a language that sort of like transcends a whole bunch of different ones. That's basically how you can talk to everyone in the world. Right. And then the. Egyptian and on the top of the capstone, the hieroglyphs, the Sanskrit, the Babylonian, the classical Greek. Sure. A little classic Greek thrown in there. Not shit that's spoken a lot these days. Well, no, just in case. I mean, say you you find the Rosetta Stone and then that allows for you to unlock uh, the capstone, which then allows for you to unlock the other eight languages. It's kind of like an instruction on how to carry on after an apocalypse of some sort. Now. And then the astronomical point, I mean, that's fairly, that could be fairly handy. Uh, the, the place that it's set up on is kind of up a bit, so it would be easy for uh, places to be a little bit lower and look up and be like, oh, here's the times of everything. You know, here's, it's noon now because of the, the, the one, uh, the, the sunbeam, sunbeam to the capstone, you know. Uh, however, that's actually not that fancy. So the guy who built this, and we're going to get into it in just a second, uh, but he told the person that he commissioned to actually get all the granite and shit that he had gone to Europe and seen a bunch of like of their structures, and he wanted this to be, he, he saw a Stonehenge, and he was like, man, like this is going to be our Stonehenge. Now, though it can do these neat things, though it's going to indicate celestial poles, and uh, it's going to show what noontime is and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Stonehenge was better. An analogy was made by an astronomer where they said that the Georgia Guidestones the, the Guide to Stonehenge are an abacus to a computer. Oh, wow. So, like, it's kind of fancy, but it ain't that fancy. Uh, also, there were instructions, like, not great instructions, not like specific instructions, but instructions sent to add other slabs and areas to account for the, you know, changes in the universe. You know, we're all, it's expanding, so it's not this in the same place all the time. And so it's basically like this, you know, later you guys can put up all these other slabs, like, we're not going to pay for it, but you can put up all the, these other slabs to sort of like, keep the, the, the astronomy in order. And it was all commissioned by a guy who didn't even give his real fucking name. Interesting. He went by R.C. Christian. And he contacted Elberton Granite Finishing Company to 
create this structure. He was super, super stoked on it. And the guy who talked to him was like, you're a fucking crazy person. And um, charged him way too much for what's... He's just like, oh, we're going to need all these specialists, you know? And the dude was like, no, it's fine. Well, like, where are some banks I can go to? Mm-hmm. Apparently, this fella was the owner of Elberton Granite Finishing Company, the one that he spoke with. And that guy and then this bank man he spoke with are the only two people who know this fucking guy is. Uh, the Elberton guy, he died in like 2005 or something like that. Uh, the, the bank guy is still alive, but he ain't talking. Mm-hmm. And there have been reports of him saying things like, you know, I could say it, but I don't want to pull it in the back of my head. Uh, oh. Usually what he says... And like, which you can like find him saying in quotes, like from him saying, or that he just is, you know, a stand-up fella, and he doesn't want to like break his word because he said he would never tell anybody who this guy was. But uh, they found the land. I mean, so so they got the finances involved. It was three hundred thousand dollars in in nineteen seventy nine, um, which is around a million bucks today. Wow. Uh, they also they got the land from this this farmer, and they're like, you get. You know, we, we'll, we'll pay for the land, plus your cows can still graze here for like a lifetime or two generations or something. But, I mean, he, he was also like, whatever you whack job, but he got the cash. And so he fucking, you know, came out with a pudding. Uh, and I'm they, curious. I'm curious to know what the guy who paid for it all thought of the spelling error. <laughs> I don't know. Carved into and, the ground. And, and see, that that's a whole thing. Or was he like, he's like, motherfucker. Like, like is it a spelling error? And he paid, yeah. Or is, is it, it some error, sort of, or? or is it like an acronym? Or is it like, is it, is it meant to be there for some reason? Like, it seems, it seems like the, the word pseudonym is a, is a, I mean, it's a kind of a tricky word. There's a, there's a Y in it. Yeah. But I mean, even in the 1980s, they had, dictionaries and shit and i mean i can't imagine a professional just like oh i know how to spell you know i i can't imagine them that being a fuck up with all of the other ways that they were so tight on everything i mean the guy said i was i was going to get to it the guy said rc christian said that, that these people had been planning this for 20 years mm-hmm. like you, you can't i mean it, it seems like it would be weird if it was an accident Now, when it was being built, I know this is going to be a surprise to you, but the Christian community, not into it. There was oh, some stupid, shocker. <laughs> there was some stupid fucking reverend who was like, I don't know, this is all bullshit. It has to do with, it obviously has to do with the, with the Satan. Yeah, uh, which because is like you know the typical answer for anything like outside of there. Because you know, it says like, you know things like belief. use reason. Uh, fair laws, um, you know, uh, be balanced with nature, and you know, some those Christians are, things, are just going to be ideas Christians. Only you know? the devil would come up with. That's true. That's Clearly. true. Um, but it still was built. You know, uh, Christian RC Christian, not the Christians. RC Christian also wrote a book called Common Sense Renewed which was given out at the unveiling. It was something that he published and uh, wrote himself. There was only like 100 copies put out. You can't find it anymore. But it basically kind of like 
extrapolated on what the stones said, but it kind of gave it this like weird veiled eugenics vibe to it. Like mm-hmm. sort of like icky, like, ah, I don't want to know any about that. Uh, and it was built, I mean, it was built to last, you know, they were, they were building it to, um, stay forever. Some people think it was like a new, new world order plot that mm-hmm. they were like built this thing so that they could have this, you know, this blueprint to make a new world after they destroy the old one. But they're not, I mean, the new world, new world order isn't destroying like other NWO guys. They're destroying regular people. So why would they need a a blueprint when they already, I mean, they know it. Uh, Some people think it's just like some rich dude who was like, fuck, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a joker. I'm going to, I'm going to make all you people think all this crazy shit. Um, some people think that it was just straight up cold war paranoia. And I mean, it was 19 fucking 80. That was mm-hmm. ball deep in the cold war. People maybe thought that, holy shit, Russia's going to bomb us. We're going to bomb them worlds out. Let's try to build it in a way that's not quite so shitty. That doesn't have all these like problems going on. Hence, not quite so many people, a whole like one language that everyone can speak, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, all that communal shit. That that you know that that sounds a little you know it's a little Marxist. A little, a little, a little too Marxist for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, people think that it was just that granite company that did it to as a crazy publicity stunt. But I mean, three hundred thousand dollars, a million bucks for quote unquote free advertisement doesn't seem like uh, much of a thing. That's quite a bit to invest in some free advertising for your granite company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, recently, which spawned all of this, on July 6th, 2022, around 4 a.m., some motherfucker blew that shit up. Uh, they blew up the Swahili Indie language slab. Well, the Swa- that's yeah. not surprising. And so uh, they tore <laughs> the rest none down. none of that around. None of that. Uh, they tore the rest down because that, I mean, it was, it's one of the four corners, so it was supporting the capstone, and they knocked the rest down with a backhoe. Um, Originally, they were like, we're going to fucking rebuild this shit. But then it came down to they're just going to give the land back to the original owner- owners. And then they uh, donated the slabs. And it's probably never going to be uh, built again. I actually have an article that talks about the end of the Georgia Guidestones. It was from uh, Online Athens, the Athens Banner Herald. And it was uh, put out on August 10th of 2022. The Albert County Board of Commissioners voted Monday night to give the broken and crumbled remains of the destroyed Georgia Guidestones Monument to the Elberton Granite Association. The large granite blocks and fragments were moved to an undisclosed location after the Georgia Bureau of Investigation completed its forensic investigation of the site following the July 6th bombing by an as-yet unidentified person. We didn't want the scavengers coming up there and possibly getting hurt, so we moved them to a third-party location, Commissioner Chairman Lee Vaughn said Tuesday. The commission also decided at its Monday meeting to begin the legal process of giving the five acres of land uh, that contained the monument back to the previous owner, according to Vaughn. So, uh, I mean, uh, the article kind of goes on. It says uh, there's... You know, private efforts that they want to, uh, there's a private effort to rebuild it, but it's probably not going to happen because they're, the, the money involved, plus they're giving the land back, so. Yeah. You know, uh, apparently, uh, 
you know, that, that weirdo Christian politician won, you know, because she, the Georgia one lady, wanted to knock it down, so. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't no. have uh, free-thinking kind of shit no, hanging around no. like that. That's just too much. I think it's interesting uh, that the guy chose the pseudonym R.C. Christian. Like, I mean, that seems to, I mean, that must have some significance that he chose the uh, yeah, there's there, you know? there's some stuff with that as well. I, apparently, it has some something to do with some really old book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, a big. There's there's a lot of like weird, deep things involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he was supposed to be involved with the Rosicrucians, which were like magic Christians or something. There's a whole bunch of weirdo shit. Yeah. But the what it comes down to is that uh, it's fucking gone now, and that mm-hmm. that totally blows. It's it's really unfortunate. I would have liked to see that, but unfortunately, you know, it is no longer there. It is no longer there. Uh, so I think that brings us to about the end of this episode, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can take a look at us on our pod on the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. We are at ageofradio.org/slash/stranger-than. You can also check out our Facebook page and uh, whatnot. If you'd like to tell us a story about some weirdo shit that happened to you, uh, do so. You can email the story to us at strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. And with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange.